0: Our reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 to 8. Sing, O barren woman, you who have never borne a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labour, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has had a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid, you will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I will abandon you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Amen.
1: I'm just going to apologize before I go any further, folks. It, I've been in some warm places so far this morning, and it turns out that sure, uh, antiperspirant isn't all it's cracked up to be, so um, you know, I, I've, I've washed myself and prepared myself in the usual way, um, so... We've a lot of guests here today. Um, people are here because members of their family or friends of theirs have been at the front with us, being baptized or being received as new communicants. and uh, it's lovely to have you. Uh, please keep uh, supporting and praying for the guys uh, that are important parts of your life. Um, I need to say a word or two to you before I go any further, uh, just by way of explanation. I'm going to talk this morning about sex. It's not because the guys in our congregation who invited you here told me that you were coming and they, they wanted me to, to, to say stuff to you about sex. Just to make that clear, we have a series running here um, that I thought uh, we could drop into and, and continue with today. So uh, you're very welcome as you join us, but uh, just, just letting you know that it's, it's not you, it's us. Um, we call this series Sex, A Better Story. And we've been trying to think about how God's story um, about human sexuality is a better story than some of the stories that are being told in our culture uh, about these things just now. Uh, I'm not going to rehash all that. We've uh, been going uh, on that for four weeks so far. This morning, I want to ask just one simple question, Uh, the why question uh, about sex. What's the point of sex anyway? Um, Now, there's a a very simple answer to that, a a biological one. Let me pursue that for a moment. Sex is fundamental to the survival of our and any other species. If men and women don't have sex, there won't be any new little men and women to have sex in the future to produce more little men and women. I I know that. That's not really the question I'm trying to, to pursue here today. That answer, as I say, would go, go across all species. I don't, think it, I don't think it's a big enough answer for human beings. Whenever we think about our, our sex and sexuality, we, we think about something more than that. Uh, we expect something more than, than just uh, living out a mating instinct to ensure the, the propagation of our species. We long for our sexual activity to be a place of intimacy a place of deep and profound connection. We long for the the sex that we have to be an expression of love. And that's why we talk about making love. It's one of the ways we talk about sex. I want to pursue that for a moment this morning. Why is that? Why is it that the human species, probably more than we can determine in other species, have this idea that sex should be something more than a a propagation. The best way to talk about who we are always is to talk first about who God is. And and I want to talk very quickly about, about the nature of God. Our God isn't a person. It took me till long into my life to know this and to understand this. But once I did, it changed everything very, very profoundly. Our God is a community, not a person, a community of Father, Son, and Spirit. Although it's not easy to get our heads around that, and I'm not going to suggest that it is, I'm not going to say Trinity's dead easy to understand, just accept it and get it. No, I don't quite get it, but I'm beginning to believe it. So the God I worship is a community, not an individual, and this has some incredible consequences, and they're beautiful. It means that God is love. Father, Son, Spirit, eternal community of love. Even before he creates anybody else or anything else, there's love. There always has been. And there always will be because God is love. So that's who God is, but God's made us in his image. We're not individuals either. We're persons who were created for community. Now, the truth is that at any moment in our lives, any one of us could be experiencing more or less community. That doesn't change our our nature. Our nature is that we were persons made for community. We're made for connection, wired for intimacy. Glenn Harrison, in the, the book that we've been using Quite a bit in this series, he, he talks, he puts it like this The desire for relationships, for intimacy and affection is fundamental to the purpose and meaning of our lives as creatures made in the image of God. We love like this because the one in whose image we're made loves like this. We are longing creatures because we long for Him. Okay. Okay, this is where it's going to get a bit weird. Are we okay for a bit of weird today? Presbyterians don't do weird very often, so I must have a bit of capital here, you know, a bit of something to call down. Did you know that your sexual desire is an expression of your appetite for God? If you don't know that, I'm asking you to consider that today. Did you know that the Bible uses sexual imagery to talk about God's longing for you? So in the Old Testament, uh, God says to Israel that he's her husband. Uh, This is the the passage uh, which we read a moment ago. Jill read for us a moment ago. Isaiah 54, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. Later on, Isaiah writes in chapter 62, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your husband rejoice over you. These aren't isolated throwaway lines. Actually, if you read the whole Bible and look for, the Bible uses lots of metaphors to describe God's relationship with us. He's a shepherd to us. He's a mother to us. The most common one, he's a husband. And we're his bride, his wife. God is our lover, and he wants us to be his lovers. And, and of course, if that's true, then as well as the good stuff, there's the difficult stuff around that. Whenever God's people are unfaithful to him, it breaks his heart. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord." His love for me is so strong that that my turning away from him, my rejection of him, leaves him feeling like a husband who's discovered that his wife's having an affair. This is how he loves. Did you know that? Did you know that God thinks of you in these terms? So there's the joy of marriage in these verses, these images the prophets use. There's the heartbreak of adultery. But the Bible doesn't stop there. I suppose everything I've said so far, you might have said, yeah, we know that. We know that the Bible talks about about God's relationship with Israel in terms of a marriage, but this morning we're trying to understand sex. What we need to know is to see how sexually explicit some parts of the Bible are. We need to take this part of our lives and bring it back under the the umbrella of God's purposes for us. Next time you're bored during a sermon, it it might be happening right now, okay? I'm okay with that because I've got a good plan B for you. If you're bored with this, Flick open Song of Songs and read it. Here's what I want you to do. Put a circle around every time there's a sex reference, okay? Because it's quite old poetry, you won't always be sure. You'll think, that sounds a bit racy, but I'm not sure. If you think it probably is, it is. That's how it's written. So circle it up, and you'll see here a, a long erotic poem about how God feels about his people church. Let me show you another explicit passage. Flick with me. Ezekiel chapter 16, page 841. I was thinking, you know, it's a good thing that the Pew Bibles aren't. Do you remember those kids' Bibles with photos or pictures? It's a good thing at this passage that we're not using kids' Bibles with with photos. What do they say? We're with pictures. At this point, God is giving the prophet an image to help the people understand how he thinks about them, He talks about Israel. It's a metaphor that would take a while to properly unpack. He talks about Israel as a a baby rejected at birth. But then verse 7, Ezekiel 16, verse 7. God said, I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew up and developed and became the most beautiful of jewels. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew. You were naked and bare. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. Who knew? The Bible is full of this stuff. We're witnessing here The beautiful, passionate desire of a man for a woman and the whole point of it, nothing less than the whole point of it, is to tell us God saying, this is how much I love you. This is how I love you. The New Testament writers don't give up using the metaphors. I'm not going to go into them in detail. When Jesus arrives, one of the first things they call him is the bridegroom. Here's the guy coming for his bride. That's who he is. Whenever um, Paul talks about the oneness that there is between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife when they have sex, he says that it's a metaphor for Christ's relationship with the church, Ephesians 5. So the Bible's full of this stuff about sex and marriage. And on almost every occasion, it's, it's suggesting that, that sex has a meaning beyond itself. And that's what we're asking today. What is sex for? What's it all about? It points to something much, much better than itself. Love that Christ has for its, his church. If that's true, then one of the purposes of our human sexuality is to help us think differently about our relationship with God. By the way, stuff I'm saying here today, I didn't know this two weeks ago. I'm learning. All right? Maybe you're learning too. Two things we need to do, two ways we need to think differently about sex and sexuality because of what we're seeing here in God's word. First, we need to look into our sexual desire. We've got to stop running away from it. We've got to see what it's saying to us and where it's taking us. That attraction that we feel to bums and breasts and torsos, that intense pleasure that, that begins in our, our penis or vagina and goes right through our bodies, That nearly delusional thing that we feel when we're infatuated with somebody and we say, I can't live without him. I can't live without her. That's how God thinks of us. That's his chosen image when he wants to tell us what we mean to him. If we want to understand God's love for us, we need to look into our sexual desires and realize that they speak of His great, great desire for us. Second thing we need to do, we need to not only look into our desires, we need to look along them to see where they're pointing us to. When I, when I say look along, I mean like a, a road sign that's pointing somewhere or, or the needle on a compass Where's all this pointing? Our, our sexual desire, it's, it's, like a, it's like a homing instinct. It's a reminder to us, I don't know about you, I, I find this modern life would, would take every last bit of life out of you. It leaves you feeling so numb and so dead. And then we have sexual desire. And it, we're reminded that we are people who do of connection, who do have deep longings. And these longings, they can, they can point us towards not, not, not the relationship with our husband or our wife or some person that we'd love to get together with. There's something even bigger beyond that. There's the perfect relationship, the perfect marriage, the perfect home that we're going to make together with Jesus Christ. Whenever I considered preaching a series on sex and sexuality, I was struck immediately that one of the great challenges would be to speak about these things in a way that that would make sense to the brothers and sisters in this congregation whom I love who, who aren't married. And as I've gone further in this series, probably only the last week or two, I've begun to be clearer about this in my own head. It takes both. Married people and single people to understand our sexuality. It was Jesus himself who dropped the big marriage and sex bomb. And we looked at it here a few weeks ago in the closing chapters of Luke's Gospel. The Sadducees were trying to trip Jesus up. Uh, if you remember, Jesus seemed to be arguing the whole way through the, those last uh, chapters of Luke's Gospel. They had this question for him about who was going to be married to who. In the resurrection. And Jesus said this At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor being given in marriage. There'll be no marriage in heaven, Jesus said. Well, he didn't, did he? Because that would be wick. And he doesn't do wick. If there was no marriage, life would be the poorer for those who are married and those who aren't. If there was no sense of a profound relationship on offer to all of us. He didn't say there's no marriage in heaven. He said that people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. The Bible doesn't teach that there's no marriage in heaven. It teaches that there's one marriage in heaven. Jesus Christ and his bride. And we get to be a part of it. Because he loves us. He loves us. So that's what this sex stuff and this marriage stuff is really all about. It's just a wee, a wee clue. Pointing us to the thing much, much bigger. Much better. Beyond. Beyond. Folks, whether you're single or married, in this life, our sexual desire is like a, a homing instinct. It's like a sat-nav program. Press the button and follow it and go home. So, we've been talking about sex and we have Communion. And those of you who know, I always try to link what we've been talking about to communion. Like, Any ideas? Anybody out there? I'm going to need a bit of help with this, so I've enlisted a bit of help. I know you're well into your Russian iconography in Kirkpatrick. That's one thing that we talk about a lot when I'm with you in your homes. People have a particular favorite. I just want to show you one uh, probably Russia's most favourite, uh, famous icon, uh, the Trinity by Andrei Rublev, a 15th century painter. You'll not probably be able to see it very well. Oh, it's not too bad. Sorry, the, the screen's quite bright and it's a, it's a pale image, but hopefully you can make some sort of sense of it. Let's have a quick look at this. It's uh, an image with three people in it. It's actually inspired by an Old Testament story, the story of three angels coming to visit Moses. The three angels, a lot of writers and a lot of scripture interpreters think are actually God, the Trinity, coming to visit, not Moses. I always do that. I get names wrong of big Bible characters. Abraham. All right? Abraham. So have a look at this picture. It's not really our style of art. I get that. I, I don't look at these things all the time. The person on the left of the picture, he's, he's looking up towards the person at the center, and he's got a hand gesturing towards him. He's very much for that person in the center. And that, cent- that person in the center, they're looking back, and their gaze meets the, the person on the left who's, who's loving them, and they're returning the love to each other. But that person in the center, in turn, their bodies actually turn towards the person on their right, so they're very open uh, to, to that person, sorry, the person on their left, the person on the right of the picture. And that last person on the right of the picture is looking over towards the person on the left, creating this sort of perfect community, this circle, beautiful circle of love. Folks, we don't have to be big appreciators of Russian iconography. Anybody who's brilliant at that, come and tell me later what this really means, but, but that's what I've seen here. It's a wonderful image of God. But here's the thing, and all of us can get this. Don't want you to miss this. These three people aren't turned in on themselves. Have a look at the painting. Their bodies are positioned in a way that they're open to us. They're not sitting with their backs to us. Uh, This scene opens out towards us. It's like they're sitting at a table, but one side of the table is open for anyone who would come. It's a bit like what Jesus prayed in his great prayer, John 17. May they also be in us so that the world may see that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Dear brothers and sisters, divorced and married, widowed, single, however you come, know this your deepest desires, your most passionate longings, they will only. And will finally be fulfilled when you find your place here at this table of God's love. Jesus died, his body was broken to buy you and I a place at this table, a ticket for this meal. What's sex all about? It's the place where we allow our deepest longings to speak to us of God, to help us understand how much He loves us and to start pulling us back, drawing us to Him, calling us home. We're going to come to the table in just a moment. Uh, Richie's going to come actually and... uh, Lead our communion celebration for us. Uh, I look forward to that and uh, receiving bread and wine with the the rest of you. Just before we come, we're going to sing one of the another one of these simple songs of of. It's one where we get to express some desire for God. I don't I don't know how easily you do that or how comfortable you feel with that. Uh, maybe we'll keep our seats as we do this. We'll allow the stewards to lift this morning's offering. Um, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you.